Well, are you thankful for this great country that God has blessed us with? What a wonderful gift to be born in America, or maybe you immigrated here, and uh, just to be a part of a place that God's hand has been so greatly on. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, uh, Kayla, if you give me that scripture, it's 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. This is Paul speaking to the church, and he says, I exhort that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men and in verse number two notice he tells Timothy to pray for their country to pray for the leaders of their country pray for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth so we're going to begin today just with a time to give thanks for our country. We're going to sing America the Beautiful, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer as we pray for God to work in our land. We'll pray for God to work in our leaders' hearts and God to bring revival to our country. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come to you and we thank you for this wonderful country that you've blessed us with. God, I pray that we would never take for granted the freedom that we have. Just this freedom today that we can come and worship without fear, without intimidation. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who gave their lives to secure this freedom. Lord, we thank you for the government that we have. We're tempted to complain and criticize and we're thankful for that right, but you've called us to pray for our leaders. So we pray for our president and administration. Lord, we pray for our congressmen and women. We pray for the senators. We pray for our Supreme Court. God, we pray that you would just bring a spiritual awakening to the hearts of our leaders. Lord, we pray for those who represent us that love you, Lord, that they're abilities would be advanced. And Lord, we do pray against those who would steer our country in the wrong direction. But we pray that you'd help the voters of this land to make wise decisions. God, we pray that you would secure our liberties. Lord, we know that righteousness exalts a nation. So we pray for the hearts. The scripture says that you would have all men come to repentance, and we pray for the people of our community, of our country. Lord, we pray that there would be awake, an awakening. We pray for churches across America to stand boldly and to proclaim the faith. And we pray that you would use us in our little corner of the country to have an impact. Lord, may we be the salt and light that America needs. So once again, Lord, thank you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible says in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Our theme verse, Colossians 1, 16 through 18. Jesus first is our theme, and I want to read this together out loud. Would you begin with me? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him 
and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Well, let's look at Colossians chapter number 2 this morning. And we have been in a series of messages, verse by verse, through the book of Colossians. And we began just introducing that theme verse and saying, hey, Jesus, in all things, he's got to have the preeminence. And just remember what that word preeminence means. It means eminence means that there are things that are important, an eminent thing. But preeminent means of first importance. Jesus comes before everything. And then we looked at a Jesus first church in Colossians chapter 1. We looked at that phrase, walk worthy, and we said we need to have a Jesus first walk. And last week, we saw we need to have a Jesus first future. And what I want to show you in Colossians chapter 2 is a Jesus first focus. Well, let's read uh, this text together, and then we'll work our way through it more carefully. Colossians 2 and verses 1 through 10. Paul writes this, For I would that ye knew. I want you to understand. I really wish you, you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. It's interesting, he's, apparently he's never met these Colossians face to face. And that's how he starts in this part of the letter. He says, boy, I've never, I'm, I'm thinking right now about the people I've never met face to face. Well, I, I kind of identify with that. I've never met Paul face to face either. But I read his words and they were given by the Holy Spirit. So we're not that unlike the first century church in Colossae. Verse number two, he says, this is what I want all these people to have. I want their hearts to be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I love verse number three. Would you read that one out loud with me? Ready? Go. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. Verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him 
Have you noticed that that in him has appeared already before? Back in verse number three. Verse number three. In whom? Verse number six. Oh, no, no, I missed one. Verse number five at the end of the verse. Your faith in Christ. Verse, uh, verse number six. Verse six. So walk ye how? In him. Verse number seven. Rooted and built up where? In him. Established in the faith. Verse number nine. It's like all that has been leading up. All those in hymns, in hymns. Verse number nine. For in him. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In verse number 10, will you just read this with me? Because this is where it's headed today. Verse 10, begin out loud. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Ye are complete in him. I'd like to talk to you about having a Jesus-first focus. What are you focused on today? What are you focused on Maybe not right this moment, but in this general stage of your life, what are you focused on? I know several of you well, and I've actually had conversations with some of you very recently, and some of you have told me about career changes you'd like to make or advancements that you'd like to make. And that is a time where that requires some focus, does it not? There's others that are, that are younger and they're entering their, they have serious relationships or preparing for marriage or others who may be considering starting a family. And at these moments and these seasons of life, those kinds of things, they require focus. Some are, you may be thinking of starting a business, that's focus. Some have uh, some have tried to overcome difficulties in their life, and maybe you've overcome a hurdle of addiction. And if you've ever done that, you know that it requires focus. There are a lot of things that you can focus on. And the things that I mentioned are all good. There are some unhealthy focuses. Is it focuses or foci? Foci. I don't know. Some of you Latin people might know. But there are unhealthy things. I'll just avoid it altogether. There are unhealthy things that we can focus on in our lives. But then sometimes our focuses, I did it again, they can get out of order. So you could be focusing on one of those things I mentioned before, and it's a very good thing to be running after with your life. But the whole theme of the message, and if you miss the rest of it, really I just summed it up in the introductory statement. This is what Colossians 2, 1 through 10 teaches us. Among other things, the main application I'm drawing it out today is this. When you make Jesus the primary focus of your life, you'll discover that you have everything you need. When you make Jesus the primary focus of your life, you will discover that you have everything that you need. Because if any of those other things become that primary target that you chase after, if any of those other things take first place focus, you will achieve those things only to find that you are still yet unfulfilled. And it's the story of, of success and failure 
throughout human history. Solomon writes all about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. He writes about all the things he focused on, all the things he chased after, and you know what? He got them all. He did the things. He made it. He got it all, but he identified that at portions of his life, he lost focus on what was truly important. Well, for us today, how do we make Jesus our first focus, the primary focus of our lives? Well, I'm going to give you four simple statements, and they're on the back of your handout today. Four simple statements as we look at the structure of Colossians chapter 2. Number one, keep growing. Keep growing. Look at verse number one again with me. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He says, I have conflict for you. Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Like, not something I would, you know, send you in an email or a text message. You'd be like, hey, I've just been having conflict for you. This is a little bit, we have to understand what Paul's talking about here. He's basically talking about a spiritual struggle going inside, on inside of him. He, and, and really, this should, be, this should be the heart of every Christian leader, every Christian pastor, every Christian teacher, every Christian mom, every Christian dad, every Christian grandmother, anybody who's investing their lives in somebody, anybody who's discipling somebody else, you ought to be in this position. You ought to look at those people that you've been entrusted with, and you should say, oh, I just have this deep, deep struggle going inside of me because I want God's best for your life. I want God to to grow you. I want God to establish you. I've got a burden in my heart for you. You understand the heart of where Paul's coming from right now? He's saying, "I I just really, really want this for you. And he doesn't want them or the Laodiceans to have any excuse for not growing. Because they could easily, he takes a big excuse right out of the way right here. You see what it is? He takes one big excuse. What is it that they've never experienced? They've never experienced Paul face to face. He says, that's not relevant. Because I've been given a mission to you, but even though I haven't seen you personally, even though I haven't taught you personally, I still believe God's work can be accomplished in your life. And so look at what happens as he says, encourages them to keep growing. Verse number two, this great struggle, this conflict, is that their hearts, that your hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. Can I share with you something about growing as you grow in your life as a Christian? You ought to be growing in greater comfort and greater peace and knowing the Lord. And Paul, I I can imagine the apostle Paul And the Lord really is speaking, of course, is speaking through Paul. And God's desire of his heart for us when he sees us. And there are Christians that I've I've observed in my life. And through choices they make and through wandering away from the Lord, they step into more and more turmoil in their life. Maybe you've experienced that. Has there been a time in in your life where you have wandered a little bit away from God only to step into turmoil and discomfort and trouble? And Paul says, and the Holy Spirit says, I do not want that for you. I want you to keep growing. I want you to find greater comfort. I want you to experience the the all-encompassing love of God. And then he says this, and unto all riches of the, what's it say? What kind of assurance? 
And what kind of understanding? Full. Full. I want you to experience the fullness of your Christian life. Are you experiencing that today? If Jesus is your focus, you will have a heart that says, God, give me your fullness. There is a, there is a statement that I've heard many preachers say for a long time. I don't know who first said this. When we receive Christ as our Savior, how much of the Holy Spirit do we get? We get all of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you get all of the Holy Spirit of God. But you have a choice. How much of yourself will you give to the Holy Spirit? We have all of Him, but have we yielded all of ourselves to Him? And you might say, well, why should I do that? Well, ultimately, because He loves you and He gave Himself for you, and He is worthy. Amen, church? He's worthy of everything. But secondly, there is a benefit in it for us. It is a good life to know Jesus, to walk with the Lord. There's a fullness that we experience of comfort, of love, the riches of the full assurance of understanding. That despite what your bank account says, you can be rich this morning. Because there's a richness to knowing Jesus. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? It's the gospel. He says, I want you to live in the gospel. The, when it says mystery in the scriptures, it's not referring to something that cannot be known or something that's a secret. It's referring to something that in the past, people couldn't understand it. But now it's been revealed. The mystery, and you'll see Paul speak about it a lot, the mystery is the fact that in, well, let me ask you this question. In this part of the Bible, which we call what? The Old Testament, is the gospel there? Not a trick question. Is the gospel here? Yeah, amen. But it's a bit mysterious here. Is it perfectly explained here? No. This is where the gospel of Jesus is a mystery. But oh, right here is we get the full assurance of understanding. We get the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And if you find that mystery... If you find Christ, you get everything that's in Christ. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I said earlier that I, was, I just really love this verse. Well, here's why. Because are we, are we sent on a hunt to go unlock all the secret codes of the scripture? Is that what we're sent on a hunt to do? There are people that do that. That's their, their, their whole, they write books about it. And I've read books like, Unlock the Secret Numeric Code to the Bible. How many of you have seen stuff like that before? You're like, well, if you add up the verses and subtract by 11 and divide by exactly the number of God, 777, you will unlock the secret key never known before to understand the Bible. And that's how they think of mysteries. Or something that no one has ever found before. They find it. It's not what it's about. He says, if you want to understand the depths of the word of God, you've just got to find, you've just got to seek after one person. And that's who? 
Jesus. Because if you find Jesus, if you find Jesus, you found what? You found the treasure. You found the treasure. How many of you liked treasure hunts when you were a kid? How many of you imagined it? Okay, now, who, who at some point in their life has, has drawn a treasure map? Where's the treasure map, people? Yep, and we all know the most important saying in any map is what? What's that most important saying? X marks the spot. X marks the spot. Who got to choose X anyway? I don't know how that, but X marks the spot. Well, the spot in the search for the treasures of your spiritual life, the spot is Jesus. Now, I'm not saying don't study the Bible or anything. You understand. But you can study, 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 study. No, no, no. In fact, Paul says, I could have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. You could know all of the, all of, you could memorize verses. You could have lots of knowledge. But actually, if you miss Jesus, you miss the treasure. If you miss Jesus, you miss the treasure. And so what he's saying here is just keep growing. Verse number four, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But now verse number five, for though I be absent with you, absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Do you know what one of the biggest signs of your growth in Christ could be? Do you know what the biggest signs? Not the only one, but one of the biggest indicators that you are growing in Christ is that you're here this morning and you were here a year ago, a month ago, two years ago, ten years ago. Steadfastness. The fact that you are continuing forward in the faith. That steadfastness is a sign, an indicator. It's, it's, again, I'm not making everything about this, but it is one of the key indicators that your relationship with Christ is moving forward. How many of you have learned in life that sometimes we move forward with great quantum leaps, and sometimes in life we take small steps forward? The goal is what direction are you moving? I'll leave you with this on this point, then we'll move on. Something I've observed in my own life and in the lives of Christians that I've known. People come to know Jesus as their Savior, and their life begins to radically change. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I think differently. I act differently. Like, my habits are different. My routines are different. Everything's changed in my life. And all of these radical things change over a course of months, over a course of the first few years. But then we get to a point where all, it's almost as if we say, you know what? I think I've grown enough. I think I've grown enough. And there are areas in our life where God says, yeah, but I'd like, this, I'd like to see this attitude improve. I'd like to see, yes, you stopped doing some things, but now I'd like to see you start doing some things. I'd like to see you maybe begin, we, on Wednesday night we, we, did a, we had a talk on spiritual gifts. I'd like to see you exercise your gift in this area. And all of a sudden we get to the point where we're like, eh, I mean, I, I, I'm a Christian and all, but I don't want to get radical about it. 
and we stop that growth. But when Jesus is the focal point of our lives, well, think about what Jesus said. What is the, what is the operative word of being a disciple? What, what's, the, what's the command that Jesus makes to a disciple? It's, okay, what was that, Donna? Follow me. Follow me. Which indicates that Jesus is doing what? He's going somewhere. He's leading us somewhere. This is not following. If I want to follow, what do I have to do? I've got to take a step. Now, I, some people are following fast. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is a patient master? So sometimes he's like, all right, come on. Follow me. Follow me. But you might be at a crossroads in your life, and Jesus is getting out ahead of you, and he's saying, no, come on. Follow me. Follow me. And you're looking at where he's going, and you're like, boy, I, can I follow you there? Keep growing. Don't stop. He says to the church, I just want you to have the fullness. I want you to have all of it. Well, number two, not just keep growing, but in verses six and seven, deepen your roots. Deepen your roots. Look at verse six. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? All right, so there's two, there's two action words in here. One is past, one is present. What is the past action word here? In the past, you received Christ. In the present, you need to what? Walk in Christ. In the past, you received. In the present, you walk. Now, what's the similarity? You are supposed to walk in the same way that you what? Received. We walk the same way that we received. Has everybody got that? How did you receive Christ? If you could give me one or two words, how did you receive Christ? By, I, I heard it. What? <laughs> That's the loudest I've ever heard you do that. <laughs> yeah. By faith. You received Christ by faith. Paul wrote a whole book to the Galatians. Read it sometimes. Sometime. He wrote a whole book to the Galatians, and he said, Hey, Galatians, wake up. Don't be foolish. Did you begin in faith, and now you're going to be made perfect by your works? No, it's all by faith. It's all by the power of the Spirit. If we're going to deepen our roots, that's what verse number 7 says, that we are going to be, go ahead to verse 7, that we're going to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, back to verse 6, that is going to be because we are walking the same way that we what? Received, which is by what? Faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. The Christian experience, the deepening of the Christian experience calls us, as we focus on Christ, sometimes it calls us to, well, always, it calls us to walk by faith. What are you trusting God to accomplish in your life today? Now, some people have put it this way. Well, you just got to let go and what? Let God. You just got to let go and let God. Is that the method of faithful operation for the Christian? It's not. It's, it is, it, I mean, it is let go and let God. I guess, you know, we could get picky about it. 
is let go and let God lead. Let go and let God lead. Because what God is going to do is he always, real faith is always manifested in what? In action. Real faith always takes a step. There's a whole other book in the Bible that talks about this. The book of James. That your faith without works is dead. A faith that never produces any effort on the part of the Christian is a dead faith. However, we can think that we move forward by our own strength and by our own power, which is not true. We do let go and let God, but we let Him lead us. We let His Holy Spirit uh, animate us and empower us. So every step we take is not in our own strength, but it is in His strength. And if you're like, well, what's the difference? We're still walking forward. There's a big difference. And if you're not seeing it, it's not something that's actually easily like, explained. It's something that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to. The walk of faith, which says, I can do nothing on my own. So I must take a step trusting the Holy Spirit to empower that step forward. It is a walk of faith. And when you do that, when you experience those things, your faith will be deepened. He says in verse 7 again now, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught. And then what's the last descriptor? What is it? Abounding. Do you have an abounding faith? I mean, would you say, would you say like um, David wrote, my cup is running over. Is that your Christian experience right now? When Jesus is your focus, your life is going to abound. You say, I just don't get it because I just get more excited by this or I get more excited by that. Spiritual things don't really excite me that much. Well, you need to pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and that God will speak to your heart and that the things of the Spirit of God, that you'll see them for the joy and the wonder that they are. Deepen your roots. Keep growing. And now look at this. This is really important. The third point is going to teach us in verse number 8 that we need to guard our thinking. Guard our thinking. Verse number 8 starts with a very strong word. And what is it? Beware. Beware. Now, you know what I think of when I think of that? How many of you ever vacation on the Cape? Or you have, or you've been there. And in the last, uh, in the last few years, you get to the Cape. And just as you're ready to enjoy your holiday at the seashore, there's these red signs that like blast in your face. And there are pictures, not of cute, cuddly starfish. There are pictures of great white sharks, like right there on the... On the, on the sign. And when I think of beware, it's like shark-infested waters. Watch out. Beware. Well, he's going to tell us now to beware of some spiritual attacks that can come our way. Have you ever experienced in your life where things are going great? You're like, man, I just, I'm walking by faith. I took that step of faith. I feel like I am growing. I feel like I am deepening my walk with God. 
but then all of a sudden, you just find your place, yourself somewhere far away from you where even a week ago. Well, look what happens. Verse number eight. Beware, lest any man, what's the word? Spoil you. Now, you know what this word means, but it's probably not what you first think it means. You think of what grandparents so gratuitously do with their grandchildren. That kind of spoiling. But there's another use of the word spoil, which is the, what's being used here. And that is used in terms of warfare. And warfare, an invading and hostile force, will come in and they will take away what? Spoils. The spoils of war. If you could, I'll give you a, another translation here. It, it would say, beware lest any, any man take you captive. Take you captive. Through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, do you remember my illustration a minute ago? One week, one month, one year, you're right here. You're in God's presence. You're growing in your faith. And then you wake up one morning, and your life is just far away from God. Have you ever, asked, have you ever been in a moment, and you're like, how did this happen? How did I get here? Well, someone or something or some philosophy did what? It took you what? Took you captive. Took you captive. You became a spoil of spiritual warfare. It's really important for you to remember, Christian. It's important for me to remember that when we, when we, become believers in Jesus, we are now brought into a battle. When you surrender the focus of your marriage to Jesus, your marriage will come under spiritual attack. Guaranteed. When you, when you decide to give up a, a sinful lifestyle choice or a sinful habit or a sinful behavior, and when you, maybe on a, in your private time with God or at the end of a, of, a, of a preaching service, you say, God, I'm giving that over to you. I'm surrendering it. You will leave just like feeling so energized and feeling so empowered. But at some point within hours, there's going to be some kind of attack going on in your life. You can plan on it because there is an adversary. There is a devil. There is someone that wants to bring you down. Now, the great thing is you do not have to fight the enemy on your own. You just need to get back to the previous point. Well, let's deepen those roots. Let's remember that as I receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, that's how I'm going to walk in him. I don't understand why this attack is happening. I don't understand why my marriage is under assault. I don't understand why things aren't going well at work. I don't understand why this person has come against me. I don't understand it, but I trust that Jesus can see me through it. I believe that. I'm just going to put one spiritual foot in front of the other, and I'm going to go forward by faith. You decide to get involved in ministry and take a step and. And, and, and serve God. We've got a few, of our, a few of our young people in our church that are preparing. They feel that God might be calling them into the ministry and they're pre preparing for Bible college. Boy, 
I never forget the first time I ever preached a message. I was a teenager. First time I ever preached a message, and my dad said to me, he said, he might have said it in front of the whole church. It was a Sunday night service. And he said, if you're going to preach the word of God, you now have a mark on your life. And it wasn't God's mark he was talking about. He was, it was a mark of, it was a target of the enemy. God, when God, God calls us to serve him, and the devil likes nothing more than to, see a, than to bring a pastor down or to bring a husband down or to bring a spiritual leader in some other way to bring them down, to bring a mom down. Beware. Beware. Take it seriously. He writes to the church and he says, you've got you've to take some things seriously. Now, notice in the verse, there are two things. There are two areas that people can be drawn away. Philosophy and vain deceit. Well, you could say there's three. I'll, I'll let it be three. Sometimes I put this in two categories, but today I'll put it in three. I'll put philosophy and vain deceit together. Then there's the tradition of men. And then what you see is the rudiments of the world. Now, I know we're coming toward the, the last part of the message, so if you just, this is a really important concept. So I just ask you to give this your full attention right now. I'll try to be brief about it, but it's, it's, it's worthy of our attention. Different people are drawn away from the faith in different ways. Okay? In the Colossian church, there are two attacks that were coming at them. And as you read the book, as we get further into it, you'll see it more clearly laid out. There are two specific attacks that the Colossian church and many of the churches in this day were facing. One came from a group called the Judaizers. Write this down if you're taking notes today. One attack came from a group of people called the Judaizers. Based on that name, based on that name, you probably could figure out what those people were trying to do. They were trying to bring the New Testament Christians back to what? The law, the Jewish law. They were trying to bring the Christians back into the law. They were exploiting their Jewish heritage. They were exploiting their Jewish traditions. And they were saying, hey, you really need to get back to the law. As a side note, there is a false teaching group today that's doing the very same thing. It's, it's refer if you're on the internet, you'll come across it. If you study Christian things, it's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. They're trying to bring Christian people back into the Old Testament. And if you come across it, it's a dangerous movement that's growing in popularity today. But, it's, but what's interesting is these heresies always come back around. What, what was happening in the first century happens again. So the two things they faced, one was from the Judaizers over here, but the other attack that the church faced was from pagan influence, pagan spiritualism. Do we experience that in our world today? When you, a lot of these, a lot of these buzzwords that you see on the, on the internet or that you hear people talking about they have their roots in classical paganism. What's been things like manifesting, okay? Things like meditation. You say, what's wrong with meditation? Nothing if it's spiritual, biblical meditation. It's one of the best things you could do. Just quiet the world around you and focus on the scriptures. 
But pagan meditation isn't about filling the mind. It's about what? You, you know. It's about emptying the mind. It's about getting every thought out. Be careful of those things. These are, these are, it's classical paganism rebranded for today's world. There's Solomon, the wisest man, said there is nothing new under the sun. It all just comes back around. It just takes different forms and different shapes. You say, well, why are you talking about this? Because what is the first word in verse number eight? Beware. Beware of these things. So two ways. I'm going to just break. The, I'm going to simplify this two ways. One way you can be led astray is through, the, through traditionalism. Through traditionalism. Where people value the opinions and traditions of people more than the word of God. And it happens in churches, it happens in families, and it happens in society. And it can be manifested different ways. Sometimes churches lose their heart for the gospel because they're too in love with a particular way of doing things. That's a danger. But I think an even more dangerous thing is there are many people that are not, that are not following the plain teachings of Scripture because their denomination has this long history behind it. Well, my grandmother and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, they were all Roman Catholic. How many of you come from a background like that? Like, I mean, going way, 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 way back. Okay, it's steeped in that. Now, that's a tradition that there are many, many, I have friends who are in that tradition. But it is a tradition that is not anchored in the Scriptures. And there are religious traditions that can take people captive. And they cannot see the truth of the gospel because of a tradition. And how many of you would say in your spiritual life, it was hard to break the grip of your tradition in your life? It's hard. Because tradition is a powerful thing. But it's not as powerful as the gospel. You can be, we, we can, we, and, and traditions are different in different cultures. Some are religious traditions, etc. but tradition is something that, that keeps people from fullness of Christ. But on the other hand is spiritualism. How many of you are familiar? Probably everybody, but you've heard it. Well, I am not a very religious pe- person. I like to consider myself a spiritual person. Can I, in, can I interpret that for you? I have invented and am the founder of my own religion. That's really what that is. I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Well, what is religion? Religion is a basic understanding of the universe, the purpose of man, all these things that spiritualism tries to answer. And you'll also find that those who claim the mantra of spiritualism often are just adopting other religious principles, kind of like the, the buffet, right? <laughs> like, ooh, I like the macaroni salad, but the Brussels sprouts aren't doing it for me, right? Some of you go downstairs this afternoon, and you'll kind of pick what you'll... You, if you're going to ask who made this, whisper it, okay? Let's just move on. So anyway, um, just let that one sink in a little bit, okay?
we have, we have a divinely revealed word from our Creator in the Bible. Be careful. It's very popular today for, for well-known Christian leaders even to mix spiritual, pseudo-spiritual, false teachings of, of paganism with Christianity. Make sure whatever podcast you listen to, whatever article you're reading, if it claims to be from, Jesus, from the Word of God, you'd better see a lot of Scripture there. There better be a lot of Scripture. I have observed that many people talking about Christianity are not quoting a lot of Scripture. Be on guard for that. Because we can be led away captive. So keep growing. Deepen your roots. Keep Jesus at the focus. Guard your, guard your thinking. And finally, why is this all important? Well, you've got to make Jesus everything. You've got to make Jesus everything. We sang that song last week, All I Have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Well, we know that all we have isn't Christ. He's given us other things, but it's a poetic reference. It's, 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 a, it's designed to make us think and say, wait a minute. If, there was, if I had nothing in the world, but I had Jesus, I would still have everything. Because he says in verse number, number 9, for in him, that in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other, in other words, if you want to see Father, Son, and Spirit in one manifestation, all you have to look to is who? Jesus. Because there it is. There is God in a physical manifestation. And all of the fullness of the Godhead resides in Jesus. The whole Trinity is represented in Jesus, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why it says in Philippians that it's the name of Jesus that will be exalted above every name. Make Jesus everything. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. What does principality and power have to do with it? This is the paganism that I was referring to. People were telling them that they should worship angels and worship spirit beings and things like that. And Jesus said, and, and Paul says, don't worship any of those things because who is the head of all those spiritual things? Jesus is. Worship the head of it all. Worship Christ. But let's finish with this, that, that statement in verse number 10, that you and I are what? Complete in Christ. So very simple question. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for me? I shared with you a couple weeks ago that when I was in Canada, a few weeks ago visiting my Deborah's family, our family, I met a refugee family from Ukraine. And they're, they're, they've been living with my mother-in-law. She opened her home to this family, several children, and they're about my age, which was kind of startling for me, made me think. But regardless of the geopolitical considerations, the fact is these people were displaced from their home. And they didn't, they, what struck me was they hadn't grown up with poverty. They actually were middle class people. Now, again, that should be irrelevant, right? I, the, the human, but I'm just saying what it did is it kind of slapped me around a little bit figuratively. It's like, wow, they had, they have, they own a home. 
they have a business that they own, a store. They served super actively in their church. I mean, they led camp ministries and youth group, and they did all kinds of things. They were living the typical poster Christian life that you'd think of, and God was blessing them. And one day, they had to just walk away from everything. Walk away from a career, a job, and live in somebody else's house. And some of the testimonies that were shared um, were just really powerful of how they had to deal with that emotionally and spiritually. But a situation like that makes a person ask the question, is it enough to just have Jesus? Is it enough? It's actually a perfect illustration of what Jesus said, that if you forsake all and follow me, you'll still have houses and lands even in this. And the church did it. That, that, that church, Forest Baptist Church, they, they set up a way for these refugees to come and people opened their houses to them and shared them. So in a sense, it all belongs to God anyway, right? It's all God's. But they walked away from their possessions. They came and, and they, if they were here, they would share with you that it was a struggle. Sometimes it was a struggle to even get up during the day and go on. But now they've, they got, they've gathered some of the refugee teenagers and they created a youth group there in Canada. They just got back to it. And those kind of things, when we see stories like that, it's got to ask us the question, what if God, all the things you're focused on right now, this is how we started the message, all the things I'm focused on, what if God said, no, I don't want you to have that anymore? What if God says, no, I, I don't, that's, that's not what your life is going to be about anymore? Could you say that Jesus is enough? And if the answer is no, then Jesus is not our focus. And we will never experience his best for us. Jesus is everything. Now, you might be here and you might be newer to the Bible, newer to it, and you're like, even this sounds like a really radical message. How could people, how could people be, I mean, I'm okay with a little religion in my life, but why would you people be so devoted to this? Well, first of all, we're not always. Embarrassingly so, we're not always. But the reason we want to be is because Jesus gave everything for us. You see, the cross isn't just a symbol that you wear on a necklace or something you put in your house. The cross is the moment that Jesus died for our sins. He came and he took the punishment that we deserved. He suffered the suffering that we deserve in hell. He suffered it on the cross. God the Father punished Jesus for all of our sins. That is the gospel. The gospel is that I am lost. I am condemned because of my sinful choice. I'm condemned. But Jesus loved me so much, he gave his life. Well, how do you know that that was enough? Because on the third day, he rose from the dead. He proved it. He said, this, it, it is finished, and then he rose from the dead on the third day. And all he asked me to do was believe that. He didn't ask me. He didn't even ask me to, to, he didn't ask me to give all my money. He didn't ask me to, 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 um, to do all these good works. He simply said, will you believe in me? If you will believe in me. It says in Romans 10 that if I would confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and if I would believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? I would be saved. 
And one day, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I confess him before you now as my Lord and as my Savior. And because of that confession, I can have confidence that I will be in heaven. Not for what I've done, but for what he's done. That's why we should radically devote our lives to Christ. Because he radically gave himself for us. That's why Jesus is the focus. Has there been a moment in your life where you have confessed Jesus as Lord? Has there been a time in your life that you've believed on him as your Savior? If not, you can put your faith in him today. Don't wait. Don't leave. Don't leave this room or don't shut off this video today without making sure that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So let's go to prayer. Could we have a quiet moment with all heads bowed and all eyes closed? Please, nobody moving around. This is, a, this is an important time where we are invited to respond to the Word of God. First question I'll ask, has there been a moment in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your Savior? You say, well, I'm not really sure. Well, let's make sure right now. Right now, I want to invite you to make sure that Jesus is your Savior. Put your faith in Him. I'll lead you in a prayer. If you are ready to put your faith in Jesus, you can pray something like this to Him. Say, dear God, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. And I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I put my full faith in you and you alone. I'm not trusting myself or my religion. I am trusting in you, Jesus. Please save me. Now, if you're in this room and you prayed that prayer from your heart, I won't embarrass you or call out your name or point you out, but I do want to pray for you. Would you just privately, just quickly slip your hand up and put it down and say, Ethan, today I made sure, today I made sure I put my faith in Christ today. Hand up, hand down. If you're watching or listening to this video, we'd love to pray for you, help you grow in Christ. Would you just send us a message? Say, yes, I made a decision to receive Christ as my Savior. Now, Christians, this last few minutes is for you. We'll have some quiet music and let us reflect on what God has done in our hearts. How many of you would say, don't raise your hand, but how many of you would say, boy, Jesus is not focused. I need to make him the focus again. Let's just have quiet prayer as we refocus on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much for how you speak to us. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that's struggling in their faith, Lord, I pray that we would, that they would find their hope in you. Lord, if their growth has been stunted or they're just ready to give up, Lord, I pray that they would realize it's not about them, but it's about trusting you, relying on your strength. Jesus, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for giving your life for us. Help us to keep you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. 
We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.